Deborah Spradling, and I am a covenant member here at the well, and my husband and I go to the Manchac CG, um, and uh, we serve in the student ministry, and today I'll be reading from 1 Peter in Brazilian Portuguese. Portanto, estejam com a mente preparada, prontos para agir. Estejam alertas e coloquem toda a esperança na graça que lhes será dada quando Jesus Cristo for revelado. Como filhos obedientes, não se deixam amoldar pelos maus desejos de outrora, quando viviam na ignorância. Mas assim como é santo aquele que chamou, sejam santos vocês também em tudo o que fizerem. Pois está escrito, sejam santos porque eu sou santo. Uma vez que vocês chamam Pai, aquele que julga imparcialmente as obras de cada um, portem-se com temor durante a jornada terrena de vocês. Pois vocês sabem que não foi por meio de coisas perecíveis, como prata ou ouro, que vocês foram redimidos da sua maneira vazia de viver, transmitida por seus antepassados, mas pelo preciso sangue de Cristo, como de um cordeiro sem mancha e sem defeito, conhecido antes da criação do mundo, revelado nesses últimos tempos em favor de vocês. Por meio dele, vocês creem em Deus que o ressuscitou dentre os mortos e o glorificou, de modo que a fé e a esperança de vocês estão em Deus. Agora que vocês purificaram a sua vida pela obediência e verdade, visando ao amor fraternal e sincero, amem sinceramente uns aos outros de todo o coração. Vocês foram regenerados, não de uma semente perecível, mas imperecível, por meio da palavra de Deus, viva e permanente. Pois toda a humanidade é como a relva, e toda a sua glória é como a flor da relva. A relva murcha e cai a sua flor, mas a palavra do Senhor permanece para sempre. Essa é a palavra que lhes foi anunciada. Portanto, livrem-se de toda maldade, de todo engano, hipocrisia, inveja e toda espécie de maledicência. Como crianças recém-nascidas, desejem de coração o leite espírito puro, para que por meio dele cresçam para a salvação, agora que provaram que o Senhor é bom. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Deborah, thank you so much for that. Um, what's up, y'all? How's it going? Uh, happy Fourth of July. If this is uh, your first time here, my name is Yusuf. I'm the college director here at The Well, and as usual, I'm super, super excited to be here. Uh, I feel very blessed to be able to, uh, to lead our time in God's word today. So, hey, if you were here last week, Tori opened us up in a new series, and he talked about how this series in 1 Peter is actually a bridge um, between last season uh, and the next season, right? Uh, last year was a pretty tough year for a lot of us. And so we spent some time in Psalm 23, really asking and answering the question, what does it look like for the Lord our God to be our shepherd, right? That we would experience healing from that. Uh, and now in this season, uh, this series is meant to be a bridge that catapults us kind of into the future to continue on in our mission and vision as a church. And so Tori um, started us off, he read the first 12 verses uh, in 1 Peter, and I'm picking us back up in verse 13. So if you have your scriptures, verse 13, immediately we see every pastor's favorite word, therefore. Uh, and so who knows what I'm about to ask next, right? Like what's the therefore, therefore, there you go. Uh, and if your eyes just like rolled to the back of your head because you couldn't handle the cheesiness of that, 
Uh, let me just tell you, buckle up. Because <laughs> this is the first therefore of eight therefores that Peter uses for the rest of this book. And they all happen after verse 12, right? And so there's something about everything leading up to verse 12 that really sets the tone for the rest of the book. So when Tori said that last sermon, I actually got it from you. That's, that's why he said it's so good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, when he said, listen, the first 12 books or first 12 verses set us up for the rest of the book, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, kidding, right? And so in order for us to know what this first therefore is therefore, we have to kind of recap the first 12 verses. And that starts with remembering who Peter's talking to. He's writing to Gentiles that have zero earthly status. They're, they're poor. And they found themselves as immigrants in a foreign land, exiles, right? And, and on top of that, they're being hard-pressed, low-key persecuted for their newfound faith in Christ. So there's this sense of suffering associated with their salvation. And so Peter's writing to them to remind them, hey, listen, even in your suffering, God has not left you. You are still a chosen people. And he begins to shower them in gospel truths through the first 12 verses. He's like, listen to me. Just as Tori said, every person of the Trinity has, has been an active participant in the story of your salvation, right? That God is worthy, and because of the gospel, your suffering is not worthless. And because of the gospel, you're privileged, right? And ultimately, he reminds them that, listen, because of the gospel, though you have nothing on earth, you have an inheritance in heaven. Why? Because God stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ so that we can become children of God, right? And so he is so mind-blown by the truth of that gospel that he just goes off on the therefores. He's like, in light of that, this should be true of your life. And he just goes, therefore, after therefore, after therefore. He can't help himself. So the first 12 verses, there's a lot of God's promises, very little action, but after verse 13, starting in verse 13 onward, there's so much action in light of the beauty of the gospel, how we are to live our lives, right? And so the reality is we can't really cover everything that Peter goes into this passage. We can't. Uh, honestly, if I was going to go into every therefore and every implication, we'd be here forever. Uh, and maybe even longer if Tori was preaching, right? Uh, and so, so my encouragement um, is to really dig into this passage uh, in your CGs this week. Cool? All right, well, the main message, however, today is that if you are in Christ, your identity has been transformed. You are now holy, and there is a call on your life to be holy even when it's hard, to be holy even in suffering. And so we get to that first therefore. He says, in light of the beauty of the gospel, prepare your mind, right? Uh, in the Greek, that phrase, prepare your mind for action, it actually means to to gird up the loins of your mind. And so I got curious, because I didn't know what it meant to gird up your loins, and so I went to Google. Uh, and I'm not gonna lie to you, when I, when I first started typing this in, I was like, before I pressed enter, I was like, am I really prepared for work? <laughs> like, is what I find gonna just traumatize me for life? Uh, and so, luckily, I can report you can safely Google, gird up your loins. This is what you'll find. Uh, and so, ancient Hebrew men, they have these, like, flowing t tunics that they would uh, wear that would get in the way anytime they were ready to do some, to perform some, like, hard labor, 
uh, or to go into battle. And so they would gird up their loins. They would kind of take their tunics, they'd tie them up, and they would tuck them in their belt or, or their girdle, and they would turn their tunic into like some compression shorts, right? Uh, and the, the idea is that they're preparing for action. And so this is the imagery that Peter is using here. He's saying, listen, I know that you are suffering, and I know it's tempting to believe that God has left you, but remember the gospel And in light of the beauty of the gospel, that you are now a chosen people, discipline your thinking, right? Like, prepare your mind. Roll up the sleeves of your mind, if you will. Be sober-minded. Don't allow outside influences to cloud your perception of reality, right? Just because you're suffering, the gospel is not an ounce less true. And so he's ultimately saying, listen, don't allow the emotional state that you are in completely derail you from from believing the truth that that God is still present in your suffering. That's what he's getting at. But then he gets more specific. He says, he tells us how to do that. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you at the coming of Jesus Christ. I love that word fully, right? Set your hope fully on Christ. I think the reality is we can set our hopes half-heartedly on Christ. It, it's, it's just true. When we experience suffering in this world, we, we try and create for ourselves these kind of earthly security blankets. And so we'll have half of our hope in Christ, but the other half in like a 401k or some, a retirement plan, right? Or, or half of our hope in Christ, the other half in a politician that, that's going to make life on earth comfortable for me, right? And so this is, this is what Peter's getting at. Do not live your life as if this is the only life that there is. Don't believe that lie. Earthly comforts do not matter. Earthly riches do not matter. And ultimately, if I believe that following Jesus will lead to a comfortable life, I will be sadly disappointed. I will be disappointed because I still live in a broken body in a fallen world. That's what he's getting at. Your salvation has been purchased at the cross. Like, you are fully saved, but full renewal is yet to come. And Jesus didn't hide this reality from anyone. He told his disciples, listen, in this life you're going to have trouble. He didn't beat around the bush, and most of them were martyred for their faith. He wasn't kidding. And Paul even touches on this in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, that even though we are fully purchased, we still live in a broken world. So we're in this, like, in-between state. And he likens it to that of being in labor. He says the universe is in labor waiting for full renewal to come. And so Peter's saying, listen, the call is for you to be holy even when it's hard. And so how you do that? Prepare your mind for this. Things may not be easy and set your hope fully on the grace that is to come. Man, I think it's really interesting that he says the grace that is to come. Peter is obsessed with God's grace and and how it's shown in the gospel. Verse 13 is the first time he uses this word grace, or it's the third time he uses this word grace grace. And up until verse 13, he's used it in like every tense. So verse 2, he greets them with this present grace, right? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 10, past tense, like grace came through Jesus Christ and actually was predicted long before him. And then you get to verse 13 and like hope now is also a future tense or or grace now also comes in the future. Uh, And so what is he talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Christ, right? To hope, to hope in the grace that be, will be revealed in the future. 
And I think what that says about Peter is that he's not just obsessed with the gospel, he's obsessed with the full gospel, right? right? Not just that Jesus died for your sins, but that he's coming back to bring you to glory. And so the call to be holy, he says, start with knowing the full gospel and allow that to motivate your thinking, right? And then he goes on to say, as obedient children, be holy as your father is holy. Now, my guess is most of us in the room upon hearing that immediately feel this, like, pressure. Like, be holy as God is holy. That does not sound easy, right? Like this burden to perform. And I think the reason we react that way is one of two reasons. First reason is we don't fully understand the gospel. That, that could be a reason why you react that way, that you don't fully understand that in Christ you are now a child of God, period. Like there is no I have to be holy in order to be a child of God. That's why Peter says as obedient children, not to be obedient children. So if there's this like, oh, man, I, I feel like all this pressure, it could be because you don't fully understand that, that you are a child of God, right? But then the second reason I feel like we can feel that like burden is we may not really know what holiness actually means. I mean, I didn't, right? Like at one point, I didn't really know fully what holiness means. And so if you were to ask someone, hey, what does it mean to be holy? They would probably tell you something along the lines of to be morally perfect, Right? And they would actually be, they'd be right, but there's more to it than that. So in Hebrew, the word is kadosh, and it means to be set apart, to be, to be none like any other. And so at the core of God's holiness isn't just that he's morally perfect, it's that there's no one like him. Like he's the only one that could create the universe that we have today, Right? And so, speaking of the universe, if I were to ask you, how many stars like our sun exist in the Milky Way galaxy, what would you guess? A lot? Okay, that's not specific. <laughs> so, Google it. Anywhere from 150 billion stars to 400 billion. Like, like stars like our sun, of which our sun is like average in size, okay? But that's just in the Milky Way galaxy. How many galaxies in the observable universe? A hundred billion. A hundred billion galaxies with hundreds of billion stars in each galaxy. And the God that we just praised, he created all of that with his words. Like he thought it and said it, right? It wasn't hard for him. It wasn't hard. He, he didn't stay up all night trying to get the equations right. He just, he just said it. So the word unique, different, it, in his own category, it just, doesn't quite, it just doesn't quite pinpoint God's holiness. Holiness is really the closest word we have to describe that, right? And listen, God's holiness isn't just beyond words. It's also dangerous for those that are impure. And so God shows up to Moses in the form of a burning bush, Exodus 3.5, and tells him, Take off your shoes. Don't come any closer. The ground that you're standing on is Kodesh, right? Because God is so holy, our sin puts us at odds with his character. And so if we were to step foot in God's presence in our sin, we would die. We must be first made pure before we can enter the very presence 
of God. And the only way to be made pure is if someone who is pure takes on your impurity, takes on your sin, dies in your place, and imparts to you their purity. And in Christ, this is what's happened. Here we go with the microphone again. Sorry, y'all. In Christ, this is what's happened, right? That, that we've been made holy because of what Christ has done. And so now, rather than being destroyed by God's holiness because of our sin, we're invited into it. Like, that, that should blow your mind that, that what, what should destroy you is now, like, where, you, where you're invited into as his child, right, as, as children of God. So holiness is not a burden. It's the greatest blessing any of us could ever ask for, right? And so it, it's beautiful. In Christ, the, the sin that once described our lives no longer defines us. It doesn't define my standing before God because of what Christ has done. But Paul would say at one point it did. Like if you were in Christ, at one point you were, you were described by your sin. You were defined by your sin, right? Outside of Christ, he says that in Ephesians 2 verses 3 through 7. He says, what described your life before Christ, a life chasing passions of the flesh, carrying out desires of the body and mind, at one point defined your standing before God. You were not a child of God. You were a child of wrath. But because of God's grace, he sent Christ to absorb the consequences of your sinful life so that in him you would be, verse 6, raised up, seated with him in the heavenly places. This is no longer a I have to be holy. It's a I get to be holy. Praise God. That he's invited me into the category he's the only one worthy of being in. Holy. Holy. And so now what describes me no longer defines me. My past, present, and future sins no longer define my right standing before God. But what Peter is saying here is that that's true. You are now a child of God. That's, that's what defines you. And therefore, what defines you should describe your life right? The fact that I'm a child of God, I should desire that people see God when they look at me, not out of obligation, but out of identity, right? And so Peter says, listen, suffering is going to come. Prepare your mind for that. Allow the full gospel to impact the way that you see God as holy, but also the way that you see yourself if you are in Christ, that you are holy too. And then he goes on to say, as I said, that right thinking about who you are in light of right thinking about who God is, should influence the way you conduct your life, even in suffering, right? Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Do not forget who God is and who you are, even when it gets hard. Don't forget, even when you're in exile. I ask myself, why does he make that point, even when you're in exile? I think the answer is easy, because in exile, we get ratchet. In exile, we forget who God is, right? In exile, we just... And so, I mean, you could be on your way home from a worship night where you were just praising God for his goodness and his faithfulness and then get a flat tire on the way home and immediately pivot. Like, okay, God, like, what's going on, right? And, and, and I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm speaking from experience, right? Like, I got on stage a couple of weeks ago and, and gave a sermon about how God is our provider and how we are to 
to know that and experience that. And I was just worshiping the Lord, even thinking about the ways that he's provided for me. Uh, but yet, the past couple months, I've been really, really like anxious a little bit and a little frustrated towards God. Uh, my wife and I have had one car for four years, and it's worked perfect. And the one time, like a couple months ago, that we're trying to look for another car before our baby comes, all of a sudden there's this car shortage. And so I'm like, okay, God, uh, you couldn't have led me to car gurus maybe a few months. <laughs> like, I, I, get a, I just got a little frustrated with God. Like, okay, the timing of that, I could have used your help here. And yet, last week, God reminded me how, just how big he was, right? That he's so much bigger than my circumstances. And here's how. Here's how God reminded me. It actually has to do with when I was doing a deep dive into uh, the phrase, gird up your loins, right? Um, I was researching. I was looking at other places it's used in Scripture, and it's also used in the book of Job. And so Job was a righteous man who experiences suffering that he doesn't understand, and he starts to question God, which, which I think God can handle our questions, but with Job... He then goes past the point of questioning. He actually starts to accuse God of being unjust, that he would allow the righteous to suffer while the wicked thrive. And he accuses God of being reckless and and almost corrupt. And so after his lamenting, God lets him. God lets him just continue on until it was God's turn to answer, to question him. And so God is like, Job, are are you done? Okay, my turn. Gird up your loins like a man. Because now I'm about to question you, and I need some answers from you. And so God is like, it's my turn to question you, homeboy. And he takes him on a virtual, like, cosmic tour of the universe. And he's like, where were you when I formed the earth and and created the foundation for it? Do you even know its dimensions? I mean, you were there, right? I mean, you're God. Like, he's asking him questions that only God would know the answer to. And he's like, listen... Can you even, do you understand the laws of the universe and, and command stars to just move wherever you want them or command the clouds to rain or command the lightning to strike where you want it? Like, can you, do you even understand or can you even potentially perceive how to do any of that? And immediately as I'm reading this, I'm putting myself in Job's shoes. And as I'm frustrated towards God because I don't see how he's working in this circumstance, I see that, oh my gosh, God, I forgot how big you were. And it put me on my face. I'm not kidding. God, you are holy. And I'm sorry that in my frustration and in my small version of suffering that I started to forget that. I started to forget how big you are. And so this is what Peter's saying. Listen, even in exile, do not forget who you are. Don't forget who God is, even when it's hard. And in case they've forgotten their motivation for, for how they are to walk out their holiness, he continues on in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Hey, you were in need of ransom, and no amount of precious metals could, could save you. Did you know that? So no precious metals. It took the precious blood of Christ. And so knowing that gospel, that's meant to, to, that's meant to motivate you to a holy lifestyle. Peter is continually, as we continue on in this passage, he won't let them forget that the gospel is, is what is to motivate their holy living. 
And so as he continues, he doesn't just say, okay, gospel should motivate your holy living. He continues to tell them what holy living looks like. Having purified, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Okay, another gospel nugget. You have pure souls. Gospel identity. He won't let them forget. Having purified your souls, right, for a sincere brotherly love. Therefore, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Okay, you've been saved for a sincere brotherly love? That's pretty dope. Right? So God didn't just save you for you. I mean... He didn't just save you so that you would experience personal salvation and that you would forever be grateful, even though that's true, but it doesn't stop there. He didn't just save you for him. He didn't just save you because he loves you dearly and wanted to redeem you, even though that's true. He saved us for each other. Right? And and Peter says, listen, the same love that brought you into the family of God ought to keep you united as the family of God. And I think Peter says that because he knows that suffering can not only harden our hearts towards God, it can harden our hearts towards one another. Like, just think about last year. Most of us collectively experienced our own kind of personal version of suffering through COVID. Some of us lost jobs. We lost the building that we were meeting in as a church. Some of us lost friends and and family members, right? And not to mention the, the racial tension that was just boiling over in this country, I mean, we all got a fresh whiff of the brokenness in the world that we live in. But let me ask you, when a brother or sister in Christ came to you and shared their experience of suffering with you, did you love, comfort, attempt to understand, or did you invalidate? Now let me ask you, if you felt invalidated by a brother or sister in the faith, Did your loving kindness lead them to repentance? Or did you curse them out in anger, whether out loud or in your heart? Because Jesus would say that, that if you curse them in your heart, you did not walk in your identity as a child of God. You actually took on the characteristics of a murderer. And so in all of this, did, did your heart grow softer towards your brothers and sisters in Christ last year? Or did it harden towards them? In other words, did you fight for community or did you just give up entirely? Did you just check out entirely? And so suffering hardens our hearts. It can harden our hearts towards one another. Yet being holy means we are, we are set apart, y'all. We, we are aliens in this land that we live in. Meaning that when the world is boiling over around us, we keep it together. We discipline our thinking. When the world mocks and ridicules and cancels those they disagree with, we just don't do that to one another. Regardless of how much we disagree or how much we're suffering, we never treat each other harshly and without love. That's what it looks like to walk out our holiness. And so Peter's saying you do not get a free pass to be harsh towards one another, even just because you're suffering. Your purified souls should reflect a pure heart towards one another. And so love one another earnestly. And just in case they missed what is to be the motivation for their love towards one another, he goes again in verse 23 with the gospel truth. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, 
The gospel should motivate how we live out, how we walk out in holiness, and how we love each other, right? And so the gospel motivates my holiness. He goes even, he gets real specific, y'all. And this is where I'm going to be like, yo, I, I wish I could go into all of this, but dig into it in your community groups. Chapter 2, he's like, listen, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So guess what? Guess what that word is translated to? Therefore. So in light of the gospel, <laughs> put away all malice, <laughs> deceit, hypocrisy. So I, can, I wish I could go into this, but this is y'all's homework this week in CGs, right? Uh, Peter is very intentional in using these words. So the homework is to, to do some biblical research on just what, what he means by these things. And then open up and ex- allow the Lord to examine your heart. And I would actually encourage you, all of you, to, to confess to one another times when or even now where, where you're allowing these things to, to rob you of your call to walk in holiness even now. Confess and remind each other of who you, who you are, right? That you are, you are not these things, but you are called to put them off to reflect the glory of your God. Cool? So do that in CG this week. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Okay, so we're not just called to put off certain things. We're called to crave certain things too. I think, once again, this is really intentional. If you think about being in exile, what's the, what's the one thing you crave? Home. You think about suffering, what's the one thing you crave? Things, things to be made right. Yet Peter here is saying that even in your, your, your circumstances, the only thing you crave is for your circumstances to be different. If the only thing you crave is for the, the physical world around you to change in a way that benefits you, then you're missing an opportunity to actually grow spiritually in the, hard, in the hardship. So the well, Tori mentioned last week, we're somewhat in exile right now. We're still looking for a building to call home. But as much as we desire a building... Peter is calling us to desire and crave something else more, right? That we are to crave spiritual nourishment, that even in our suffering, the Lord would make us more and more like Christ. And so, I don't know, uh, maybe you're single in here and have always desired to be in a relationship, that you just crave the companionship of, of, uh, of a boyfriend or girlfriend or a, a husband or a wife, Okay. Not a bad desire, but Peter's like, listen, crave something else more. Crave that your soul would be nourished as you, would, as you feast on God's word and grow into more Christ-likeness. That you would actually walk out your holiness, right? Um, for those of y'all that have desired children and have just been met with disappointing news month after month, year after year, that that's such a good desire to want to, want to have children, And yet Peter's call here is that we should be craving something else even more, that we would desire even more, even while we're in exile, desire that our souls would be nourished, right? That we would crave spiritual milk and grow up into our salvation, becoming more and more like Christ. Man, I love what Peter says next here. He reminds us once again what our motivation should be in our desire to grow. Long to grow in your salvation, long to walk out your holiness. Verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. 
He, he will not let us forget that in all of this, living a holy lifestyle starts with the gospel. It starts with receiving the gospel and tasting that the Lord is good. And by tasting that the Lord is good, we desire that, that, that his goodness would actually continue to grow us, right? That's what he's saying, that even in your longing to be more Christ-like, have the gospel fuel that longing. You've tasted that the Lord is good. Allow that to be what motivates you to desire more of him, right? And so have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Like, really, really ask yourself that question. Can I speak from experience when I say that the Lord is good, that I long for Christ more than I long for anything else? Peter's saying a a proper understanding of the gospel not only shapes the way that I think or how I act, it it shapes what I long for, right? And so in all of this, Peter's adamant that that our motivation for holy living starts with the heart. I actually have somewhat of a condensed kind of recap of today's message. He's like, listen, it starts with the heart, Allow the, allow the experience of the gospel, that your heart would fully understand the full gospel. Allow that to be what shapes your thinking. Yeah, yeah. Allow that to be what, what, what has you think rightly about who God is and who you are in light of the gospel, right? And then from there, allow what you know to be true about God, what you know to be true about yourself, that you're, you're, you're now a child of God because of what Christ has done. Allow that to fuel your actions, that you are holy out of identity, right? You, you act holy not to become holy, but because you are holy, right? I mean, this is literally what he's saying. He's adamant that you, you don't go backwards. I didn't put arrows going both ways on here on purpose, right? And I think Peter is adamant about not getting the order wrong here because he knows what it's like to get the order wrong. He, he continually messed this up. 30 years in ministry, as he's growing in, up into Christ, he got it backwards all the time, right? For example, Last Supper, where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, and Peter's like, thou shalt not wash my feet. That's literally what he says. That's what he says, seriously. I know your translations translate it, you know, different. That's literally what he says. He utters the Ten Commandments to the author of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not. And, and, and so he acts wrongly there. He rebukes the Messiah. Why? Because he's thinking wrongly. He can't fathom the idea of a God that would come as low as to wash the feet of his servants. And so because of that, he acts wrongly. But he's thinking wrongly about God because he doesn't understand God here. He doesn't understand the heart of God and the heart of the gospel that he would step out of heaven so that we would be raised up into heaven. He doesn't get it. And so he gets it wrong, right? There are times where Peter gets the thinking part right, but because his heart isn't wrong, he still acts wrongly. Like when Jesus asked the disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? Peter's the first person to get it right. I think you're the Messiah. And he's like, yo, you got it right. Good for you, Peter. Now guess what? As the Messiah, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And he's like, never that, Lord, no. So he's thinking rightly, but gets it wrong in his actions and his behavior because his heart is misplaced. And so 30 years of getting it backwards and growing up in his salvation is, is why he's so adamant in this entire chapter. Walk out your holiness. Remember the gospel. 
Walk out your, think rightly, remember the gospel. Everything you are called to do in Christ is to be motivated by a heart that understands the gospel. And so where are you at? I mean, think about it. Where are you right now? Is Jesus trying to wash your feet? But you're like, no, 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 no. I'd rather pull myself up by my bootstraps. God, I got it. Right? You're wrong. (laughs) That's what Peter would tell you. Start with a heart that understands the gospel. Allow Jesus to wash your feet. That's the only way you would be made pure and actually achieve the holiness you desire to begin with. Right? Is, is, do you, would you get the fact that Jesus is Messiah right on a quiz? Yet, you have not submitted your life to him as Lord. So you may think rightly about who he is, but that your actions, your behavior doesn't show it because you haven't received the gospel in your heart. The truth that he doesn't care if you just know that he's Messiah and don't surrender your life to him, right? He wants to be Lord over your life, not just your friends, not just your families. And so if that's you, oh, yeah, I know that Jesus was Lord, but your life doesn't show up because you haven't received him as Lord, get back to the gospel. That's what Peter would tell you, right? That's what Peter would tell you. If you're walking in a just putrid lifestyle and you know it because you believe that, that sin is more satisfying than Jesus, right, taste and see that the Lord is better than anything you could ever pursue on this earth. Taste and see it. Believe it. Get back to the gospel. Have a heart that's transformed by the gospel. Only then will you walk out the life that Jesus calls you to live. That's the encouragement, y'all. If you're in Christ, listen, as we mature, we may get it wrong. My encouragement is to continue on in the right direction. Even in Christ, we can get it wrong. We forget that our holiness is fixed because of what Jesus has done. Allow that to motivate the way that we treat one another, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about God. And the way we live our lives to glorify him as a representative of his holy people, right? Praise him. All right, let's pray. Sorry, I'm, I'm about to. Y'all got me sweating. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. We love you. And we're so thankful, God, that you have called us holy. If indeed we've tasted that you're good by putting our faith in you. We are holy. We are children. Praise the Lord. Lift it up, God. We do not deserve to be in your category. And so, and so yet, because you came down to us, Lord, you took on our sin, we get to be. We get to be holy. What a blessing. What? How? Thank you, God. Thank you so much. God, I pray that if at any point we get it backwards, rebuke us. Rebuke us, God. Would we always start with the heart that understands the gospel and then move on in the right direction? For those of us in this room that don't know who Jesus is, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Holy Spirit, convict them in this moment. Lead them to repentance, God that they may actually taste and see that you're good. Uh, Thank you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.